Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman for what has become recently our once every few days episode, but this will be our regular off-season time slot on Wednesdays. So Bruce, last we talked, Nick Saban had retired and Kalen DeBoer had been hired by Alabama. And then the dominoes of that since then, Washington turns around and hires Jed Fish from Arizona. Arizona turns around and hires Brent Brennan from San Jose State. And then I think an interesting wrinkle is that we have seen Kalen DeBoer hire not one, but two group of five head coaches to join his staff at Alabama. Kane Womack, who he worked with at Indiana, will be his defensive coordinator. And Mo Linguist, the Buffalo head coach, joining his staff as well. That's a lot of dominoes, and there may still be more to come. We're still waiting on Jim Harbaugh, among other things. Um, we don't think Jim Harbaugh is going to join uh, Kalen DeBoer's coaching staff. No, no, probably not. Um, as of this recording, and by the way, I just love that the NFL is so transparent about it. They just send tweets. We have interviewed such and such. So far, the Chargers and the Falcons have interviewed Jim Harbaugh. Um, so let's start with, let's start here. Uh, I feel like this coaching carousel, the dominoes that have resulted from this, plus I'll go back to Oregon State and Jonathan Smith. I feel like this one more than recent has a lot of fan bases who felt really good about their coach and their future just get wiped out. Um, Washington plays in the national championship game on a Monday and loses their coach on a Friday. Uh, Arizona just coming off their best season in ages and feeling really good because you know, they've got Jed Fish and, and the core of guys, their quarterback uh, coming back. Now he's gone. To me, it's felt like a bit of a a sober, a humbling, maybe a little bit of a, you know, a reflection of where we are now that it is so much about the SEC and the Big Ten that if you're not in one of those conferences, you're always going to be at risk of your coach springboarding up to to what you know the the big two now i i don't know this for a fact but i think if in the case of jed fish in arizona i think if they were still the pac-12 i still think jed fish probably leaves to go back go back to seattle and go coach washington absolutely bigger job with better resources whether it's in the big 10 or still in the pac-12 to me that part's different like so let's unwind some of this because we already talked about Kalen DeBoer to, to Alabama, but not surprised about the Jed Fish move to uh, to UW. I think you know we'd reported on that pretty quick that he was an expected front runner for that. Not at all surprised about Brent Brennan leaving San Jose State, where he did a really nice job at a tough place, and he was the other finalist when Jed Fish got the job. And quite honestly, a lot of people around tucson not just not just the 
fans, but a lot of people in the local media really wanted Brent Brennan to get that job. And I think Fish surprised them by how how great a job he did there. Um, and now they have a lot of them quickly hate him <laughs> for the way that played out. In addition, you know, we reported this on Monday, um, the day before he was announced, you know, for his introductory press conference. He had a plane with nine Arizona staffers flying from Tucson up to Seattle. His whole entire offensive staff, two defensive coaches, plus uh, their strength coach and director of player personnel. Almost all those guys have already been announced at at uh, Washington. Brendan Carroll, even, uh, who's his OC and his O-line coach, he actually had interviewed for the head coaching job at Arizona in the morning and then got on the plane in the afternoon. And I think what made that dynamic particularly salty was the of all the schools involved, Arizona is the one who's the best position to have an out-of-body season, meaning they have on paper, at least at this point as we're taping, um, the nucleus of that team coming back. And the idea that they may all follow or some of those guys may follow um, the guys who brought them into Tucson in the first place up to Seattle. I think that was not sitting well. I think you had a lot of Arizona fans hoping that Johnny Nansen, who was Fish's defense coordinator this past season, but had since already left to go become uh, not a defense coordinator at Texas to reunite with Steve Sarkeesian and some of his other buddies from his previous stops. I think they were hoping Johnny Nansen could get the head coaching job. And then Arizona fans, I think, were hoping Brent Brennan could lure him back to be the defensive coordinator in hopes of keeping some of those players. So I think that part makes it particularly volatile. To me, the most surprising thing of all this wasn't those head coaching moves. It was actually the real, the one that was the most surprised was Kalen, was. Kane Womack um, reuniting with his old IU coaching buddy, Kalen DeBoer, just because, you know, he's done a really good job at South Alabama. They'd never had a winning season in FBS till he got there. And last year they won 10 games. Um, and he's a guy who's on a lot of people's radar. Now he's only 36. He's coached in the SEC. His dad was a longtime defensive coordinator. But I think that was like, oh, that was a pretty splashy get. Not entirely shocked that Mo left Buffalo just because in year three, they just went three and nine. And I think, you know, to go, have a three win season three years in, especially, you know, he had a tough act to follow in Lance Leipold there. I just think that, okay, that makes some sense. He's coached in the SEC. I don't know how much longer, you know, he was going to be at Buffalo. So I get why he would jump on board there and the money, you know, he probably, could potentially double your salary as as Kane's going to do there. And I think more than that, or as much as that, like we talked about this recently, you know, using Jamie Chadwell as the example, like how, how is that nobody, there's a, there's a bit of um, the idea of, okay, we have a head coaching job. We're going to turn around and hire the hot Mac head coach or the hot Sunbelt head coach has really fizzled out. And so I think if you're Kane Womack, Sorry, guys, it's only a little while ago that I realized I was mispronouncing it this whole time. Like, I mean, look at this just happened, right? With Sean Lewis. He leaves a Mac head coaching job to go be Dion's offensive coordinator. And guess what? A year later, he's the head coach at San Diego State, which is a much better job. That didn't, and that one, by the way, didn't even go great because remember, he got right. demoted like midseason. So if you're 
if you're at South Alabama, like, I don't, I mean, especially with Billy Napier struggling at Florida, I don't think you're going to get a big head coaching job off of that. Right. But if you go and be Alabama's defensive coordinator and let's say, you know, they have a top 10 defense next year and they go to the playoff, like you, I think you're going to get more interest for a major head coaching job off that than he would have in the Sun Belt. So now it may be unique that it's Alabama. Maybe he's not doing that if it's, I don't know, uh, Ole Miss, right? It's Alabama. That's a that's a unique situation. And, but... it's a guy, and also, Stu, it's a guy he knows and he's worked with and he knows yeah. what DeBoer is like and how he, you know, how he works. So I think that helps where once you've been a head coach and then all of a sudden you're going to go be, you know, somebody else is going to be the boss. I also think in a lot of ways, somebody else, uh, a head coach I know is a, who's at a power conference made this point to me last night. He was like, you know, it's probably a lot less headaches to go be somebody's defensive coordinator where you're going to have great resources um, as opposed to being a, a, you know, a group of five head coach where you're kind of one man banding it a lot and you don't have the same resources. And so um, it's an interesting perspective on that. I, I do think it's a, you know, look, if I was Alabama, I, you know, I've seen some people go, oh, wait, now we're basically, they hired the Indiana staff. First of all, they won eight games at Indiana when it was like first time in 20 years they'd done that well when those two guys were the coordinators. And then mm -hmm. the next year they finished in the top 12. And I think people are like, wait, it's Indiana. I'm like, yeah, it's Indiana. With Indiana's players, they also, I think they were, I think uh, Kane's last year there, they were like top five. Um, in a lot of key defensive categories, metrics-wise. So if I was an Alabama fan, I would be very encouraged. Also, it's like more guys who have, you know, the 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 worry was, oh, wait. You know, it's a little bit like the same thing that came up when Nick Saban first got the LSU job. Oh, you got somebody who's not from there or whatever, and then all of a sudden the staff comes together. You're like, oh, okay. It's not, you know, because now you have guys, some guys on the offensive staff Certainly Robert Gillespie, who stayed on staff, but also Kane grew up down there. Um, linguist is from is from Texas. Freddie Roach, the D-line coach, is also, you know, played at Alabama, is from Alabama. So you have a lot of guys with with pretty deep roots there. Yeah, I'd be very encouraged by the staff he's putting together. The Indiana thing is just kind of a coincidence, right? I mean, that just happens to be where they worked together. Uh, I did see a local T TV interview with um uh, Kane where he said that. Like they're they're he said he's one of his closest friends in the coaching profession. So it's not like some you just some random colleague you happen to work with a few years earlier. Um, another thing that's really hitting me is, you know, we've talked about uh, many times, right, how different the sport's going to be next year in terms of a twelve team playoff, different conferences. I've been looking at schedules for next year, and I mean. <laughs> for all the the consequences that have come from Big Ten and SEC expansion, the week to week schedule in the sport is insane in terms of the blockbusters. Anyway, um, so those two are major changes. The change to the coaching profession, obviously Nick Saban being the most you know the biggest one, and if Harbaugh joins it too, has left a void. I would say, where you know we do our annual top twenty five coaches lists. And if Harbaugh's not there on top of Saban, you know, Kirby Smart's to be number one. I don't know who the heck would be number two. 
there's this void. Dabo is definitely accomplished. He's won national titles. Right. I'm not, not forcing your hand on this, but like I well, did, that gets um, to how differently we think about it, right? You think no. of it more career accomplishment. I think of it more right now. But I got um I did uh Cole Kubelik and Greg McElroy's show on Monday. And I think I had I know I'd said it because I saw it kind of aggregated that that I think DeBoer is a top five coach. And part of why I like, because we've done this exercise and that's what I would call it. You're kind of like constantly reevaluating it. Mm -hmm. And I think when people hear that, they're like, what, you know, he's only been there a couple of years. Nobody knows who he is or whatever. Um, the truth is good luck arguing somebody above him, you know, Kirby smart. Absolutely. Dabo. I, you know, I will, agree on Dabo. I know you're, you know, I know what you feel about it and I don't and I don't think you're quite out of line with it, but the guy's still won two national titles in his bad years or 10 win seasons. So that is what that is. I don't want to like litigate Dabo right now. I just think once you get to it, um, and I feel like I, I talk about Lance Leipold so much I should be related to him, but like I know what he's done. And I think what he's done is remarkable. I just don't know. Once you get past that, you know, there are guys, certainly Kyle Whittingham does a really impressive job almost every year. And I think we both have a ton of respect for him. But then you have like you also what's happened this in this coaching cycle is not only did. Um, you know, we obviously Nick Saban's gone, Jimbo, who had fallen off the list, of, you know, fallen away, you know, a while ago, but. Certainly, if Jim Harbaugh leaves, especially after winning a national title. But then the other part of this is I feel like a couple of the guys who we had always seen as top 10 coaches really back took back steps yep. perception-wise. Absolutely, Lincoln Riley did off of this year. Ryan Day to probably, I think, a lesser degree, but certainly did. Um, you know, I, I think... Brian Kelly... Brian who we've both had very high. Yeah. Brian know, Kelly, he's won James 10 Franklin, games his first two both. years, but... There's a, you know, I don't know that anybody's like enamored by what he's done uh, at LSU so far. So, yeah, I mean, I think when you, so I, I heard you were on Ralph Russo's AP Top 25 podcast. You guys were discussing something similar. You were discussing like how wildly these guys' stocks swing from year to year. And you brought up Ed Ogeron getting fired, you know, a year and a half after winning the national championship. And that got me thinking. Think about how many national championship coach, coaches have left the sport just in the last four to five years, starting with Urban Meyer, three-time national championship coach. Les Miles, national championship coach. Uh, Jimbo, who you brought up. Ogeron. Bob, well, Bob Stoops was before this, but yeah. Bob Stoops was before this. Um, Harbaugh just won one. He might be gone. Uh, so you're down to, in terms of coaches who have won a national championship, Kirby Smart, Dabo Swinney, and Mac Brown. And Mac Brown's was so long ago, I'm not even sure it should count. No, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> so, so you couple that, you couple like the exodus of these very accomplished coaches with, like you said, like I hadn't really thought of this before, but I think my methodology is like almost like a confidence meter. Who am I most confident in right now? And I've lost some confidence quite a bit of confidence in Lincoln Riley. I'd say I've lost just a little bit of confidence in Ryan Day. I think we're still weighing so much of him on, on one game. Um, you lost a lot in Dabo. Lost a lot in Dabo. He went four and four in the ACC last year. 
So all of this means that, I mean, it, that doesn't mean there's not good coaches still in the sport. They are, but they're much more unproven. And over the next couple of years, we're going to see, okay, who's going to fill that void? And it's a bunch of guys who have had success, but aren't that established, starting with Kalen DeBoer. Two years ago, nobody in their, would have, in their right mind would have said Kalen DeBoer is one of the best coaches in college football. He's established that over the past two seasons. I threw this out to Twitter over the weekend. I got a lot of responses of, I, the question was, who would be number two? Sark. A lot of people said Sark. Dan Lanning has been a head coach for two seasons. Two good seasons, but two he's seasons. Also, he's also, and I think he's terrific, but he's also 0-3 against the guy, you know, who a lot of people are probably running down at this point in Kalen yeah. And Mike Norvell, you know, who should have been in the playoff this year, has done an excellent job turning Florida State around. But again, that's a pretty short track record at this point. And then who knows who else? So the next generation is about to emerge, and we'll see. I mean, certainly if Kalen DeBoer can keep it going at Alabama, that will be a, a huge endorsement of him. If if Dan Lanning goes into the Big Ten and starts winning championships, you know, Ryan Day just, you know, we've talked about stock slipping a little bit. With all of the guys coming that turned down the NFL to come back to Ohio State, they could win a national championship next season, and we're putting him right back near the top of the list. So um, the floor is open, right, over the next couple of years. Uh, I had a little chuckle as I'm trying to, like, research something for this. So if Jim Harbaugh leaves, it's still a big if. So guess how many coaches um, – by the way, you forgot, a, like, a national title coach who left, um, but he's still – I don't, I don't know. Um, Gene Chizik. He got fired. He came back. He just got fired again. Yeah. I mean, but so. he's, yeah. So he's technically out. But all right. So if you go back to, let's say the last 20 years. So let's say, let's say Harbaugh leaves. You got two for Georgia. You got um, one, two for Kirby. I'm sorry, two for uh, Dabo. And then who is the next head coach who's still active, who's won a national title? We just said it, Mac Brown. Didn't we just say Mac Brown? You're right. It is Mac Brown. For some reason, I'm sitting there. You know what's nuts? One of these lists I'm looking at, it's a Wikipedia. In 2017, there's a school that almost nobody thinks of as winning a national title. And their coach is not working right now. But his name came up briefly as a candidate for Arizona because he's from there. You want to guess who it is? Who won a national title? Uh, <laughs> some people think so but it's very small oh yeah of course scott frost I, yeah that's where the chuckle i was like well ucf <laughs> what a you know so anyway <laughs> um it's crazy that that is that much of a drain and again yeah. most of these guys except for harbaugh have not gone to the, i mean obviously urban went to the nfl didn't didn't last there but like they're they're just out um yep. you know yeah, so. i mean i mean you wouldn't have necessarily assumed and when, when Ed Ogeron got fired in 2021 that he would just be done, but he is. Um, I don't know what the future holds for Jimbo. He could just sit and count his money for the rest of his life, but coaches like to coach. So I have a feeling he'll resurface somewhere, but maybe not as a college head coach. So yeah, it's um, there's a void to say the least. As I was thinking about it, the conference that has to me, the best collection of head coaches right now is the Big 12 because we both respect the heck out of Lance Leipold 
-hmm. I have a lot of respect for Chris Kleiman. Mike Gundy at this point is one of the most accomplished coaches in the country. Kyle Whittingham, who will be joining the league next year, is one of the most accomplished coaches in the country. Now Jed Fish won't be in the mix, but um, let me – oh, Matt Campbell. I think even though it's slipped a little bit, we still have a Chris lot of respect Kleiman. for him. Chris, Chris Kleiman. Kleiman. Uh, Look, I collective – on the thing where it comes to like, and this is a you thing more than me, but where it's like we get overly reactionary about like how high stock. I mean, a year ago we did this, we would both be effusive about Sonny Dykes. Yes, although I was a little more cautious because it was maybe I'm too jaded by my time here when he was at Cal, but I was a little more cautious of like, let's see if that turns out to be a one hit wonder. And as of this moment, maybe it was. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good collection of coaches and not necessarily guys who are gonna, I mean, at this point in their careers, I don't think Mike Gundy's going to jump to be the next coach at Michigan. Um, Cal Whittingham has had chances to leave Utah and hasn't. And frankly, there's been more talk about, is he about to retire than is he about to, uh, go to USC or whatnot? So, um, that's gonna make that league a fun league, but at the same time, you know, it's it's the Big Ten and the SEC, and those group of five head coaches leaving head coaching jobs to go coach at Alabama is a reflection of that. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. So speaking of Ralph, he's going to get a shout out twice on this podcast. As I came home from school drop off this morning, I saw this tweet and I was like, yep, that's you nailed it. Feels like we're welcoming Alabama fans to the real world after 15 years of living in college football paradise. Um, what he's referring to specifically is we're recording this on Wednesday morning. Caleb Downs, freshman, All-American, all first team, all SEC safety as a true freshman has entered the portal and we, you know, assume he's going to be landing at Georgia. And that, that just doesn't happen under Nick Saban. You know, all of these NFL defensive backs and every other position, frankly, guys didn't up and leave Alabama until they absolutely had to. It's, uh, it's a, it's a, you know, and they also, Isaiah Bond, who caught the crazy touchdown in the Iron Bowl, has transferred. He's now at Texas. A couple other notable players have entered the portal. 
which is just what happens in college football, especially when there's a coaching change. Crystal ball it. I'm not going to, we're not it's too early to predict exact records. Like what is realistic for Alabama in Kalen DeBoer's first season? Jalen Milrose back, but frankly, at this point, not a lot of other household names from last year's Alabama football team. Um, I, I don't know. I would, would spin the question a little bit different to you. What do you define as success, quote unquote, for Kalen DeBoer has to be like, you're obviously not winning the number of national titles that, that Nick Saban did. I don't even think you can get close. The question is, if you win one in a 10-year span. He's not going to make it to 10 years if that's the case. If he only wins one in 10 years, only wins one national title. College football is becoming more and more like the NFL. And I mean, I was a little caught off guard because I don't follow it as closely that the Eagles coach, like when I started seeing all this stuff after the playoff loss that he might get fired, I was like, wasn't, weren't the Eagles in the Super Bowl last year? How yeah, can this so, be? So they, he already demoted his defensive coordinator and then Brian Johnson, who you remember, right? The old uh, Utah quarterback who was an Urban Meyer protege. He got bumped up. He was the quarterback coach, did well. And Shane Steichen, UNLV fans may remember Shane Steichen as a quarterback there, brilliant uh, assistant coach. He really, I think people realize just how sharp he is, not just by what it's been like for the Eagles with him out being there, but you know he goes to the Colts, he drafts Anthony Richardson, and Anthony gets hurt, and they still do really, really well. Um, and Brian Johnson really struggled as the OC there. And you saw a team that was old on the, you know, on defense. I know they drafted all these Georgia guys in recent years, but they had a lot of age that showed up, especially in the secondary. And and they absolutely collapsed down the stretch. So they, and, I get and it. you know what the other thing is Jalen Hurts, I don't think he would ever say it. A lot of people, when you watch him, you're like, man, he might be playing hurt and trying to play through it because he did not look like the same guy at all this year. So Nick Sirianni went, uh, he spent three years, nine and eight in the in the first year, lost to the Bucks in the wild card round. 14 and three last year, go to the Super Bowl. 11 and six this year, lose to the Bucks in the wild card game and he might get fired. And so I bring this up to say, to, to your thing about Kalen DeBoer and expectations. Let's say he comes in in his first year and they go to the national championship game. It's like, great. That's amazing. We're going to keep the dice. The between life in the NFL and life in college football, though. I think it's going to start to become more like no, this. So I, don't he, think, I, I think the, the margin for error in college football is nothing like it is in the NFL. The NFL is just, it's built on parity. It's, it's just not. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a fair comparison at all. Well, here's what I was going to say. Okay. Say what you want to say. And then we're gonna, go if ahead. he reaches then no, actually let's, let's do it exactly the way this was. Uh, nine. So first year he makes the playoff, but loses in the first round or the quarterfinals. Okay. It was his first year, you know, fine. Second year, they go to the national championship game. Everything looks great for Kalen DeBoer. Third year, they slip badly and they lose in the first round we'll say to uh somebody you know a bad seed team i think he'd be right back on the hot seat just like this guy yeah i don't know I, I, the comparison to me is like a screwy one just because it's an nfl to college but I'll, well look I'll, at what happened to ogeron 
That was very NFL-like. That is that is a uh, nutty thing. And that one happened in a pandemic. Remember, it's like yeah. if Jamar Chase doesn't opt out, they're probably not a 500 team. You know, if they have some of those guys don't. But um, I wanna, I'm want i going to throw you this schedule. We're going to read this. I know this is too soon to do this. Oh, you want to play the schedule game, huh? I absolutely do. Because <laughs> I think when we do it, I think you go, okay, I can Well, you're going to see, I mean, do it, but you're going to see just how much more – um, how many more blockbuster games there are going to be on these SEC and Big Ten team schedules? Go ahead. No, I, I, not in this case. I don't think you will. But here we go. Week one, they play Western Kentucky at home. Week two, USF. USF's improved under Alex Golish. It's still a tough fight for them. Revenge game. Revenge game for Alabama. So I think we're looking at a 2-0 start. Then they go to Wisconsin. Yep. Struggle this year. Remember uh, all the years where Alabama would just play one neutral site game and that's that. Now they're playing home and homes. They just did one with Texas. Now you're playing at Wisconsin. That's a unique one. You think that's 3 and 0 for for Alabama? I don't I mean it kind of depends on how much better Wisconsin gets. They definitely struggled in Fickle's first season, but I expect them to improve. Okay. Then you have the Georgia game. Yep. Okay, so that's and that's in Tuscaloosa. Then after that it's at Vandy who's been pretty dreadful. South Carolina's home has been who was really mediocre this year. So we're staring at probably a pretty good chance to be five and one at Tennessee. That's where it starts to pick up. Yeah, we'll see what I mean. You know, Tennessee's I, I don't you know, if you're Alabama, you should win that game. But I think you're you're treating this as if Alabama. OK, go ahead. But I think if you're saying like if you're rolling your eyes at the possibility of Tennessee beating them, you're thinking of Alabama as still being peak Alabama. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Then they have Missouri at home. Top 10 team this year. Yeah, we'll see if they they sustain it. They obviously got to replace the best running back in the conference. Um, At LSU, you know, LSU has a completely overhauled staff, no more Heisman winner quarterback, and also have to replace two first-round receivers. They should be – they got to be better on defense. But, again, then they play Mercer. That's – you know, some things don't change in the SEC. Uh, at Oklahoma, and then they finish with the Iron Bowl at home. That's the part that's crazy to me, is that they're going to play at Oklahoma the week before playing the Iron Bowl. For so many years, that that was their Mercer week. So my takeaway from that is for 15 years, you would look at an Alabama schedule before the season and say, okay, they're going to win 10 of these easily, and then there's two they might lose, right? LSU and Auburn or uh, whatever. I mean, I counted up four or five games they could absolutely lose. Now, what's different, though, Stu, this one is this year is it's not the newcomer. It's they have Georgia in the in the regular season schedule. Right. Like this would be a tough schedule, even if Saban were still there. But if Saban were still there, I'd be like, you know, there's four or five losable games on there, but he'll make sure they don't lose at Wisconsin. Um He's not going to lose at home to Missouri. Like, I would just chalk up some of these as wins. I don't know. Uh, Kalen DeBoer's first run through the SEC. And like I said, I mean, guys are defecting. Caleb Downs was a big loss on a defense that's already losing um, a whole bunch of dudes. Uh, they haven't been great at the receiver position in general the last couple of years. Isaiah Bond had kind of been the breakout guy this year. He's gone. I... I would not be shocked if this is like an eight and four Alabama team. I'm not going to predict that. You just did. You just did. Although I guess I did that last year too, and it blew up in my face. 
But it blew up in my face because Nick Saban did what Nick Saban does so well and got that team to improve considerably over the course of the season. I have no idea what to expect from Kalen DeBoer and his staff in his first season. So um, this is all a long way of going back to what I asked you in the first place, which was what are your expectations for Al realistic expectations for Alabama in year one of Kalen DeBoer? I think they probably win 10 games in the in first season. Um, and I think part of it is because Georgia makes this schedule tougher than, you know, yeah, I think Oklahoma is a good team and it's not, you know, it's on the road. That'll be an interesting road trip for them. But it's the Georgia piece in the regular season, you know, because right. last year, this when I say last year, I mean, obviously 2023, it was a pretty down SEC. I think we came to realize it. the fact that Alabama won it with one of its worst rosters, no star skill talent at all, a offensive line that was pretty shaky, um, a kind of a one-dimensional quarterback for much of the year, and a front seven that was good, but not typically an Alabama standard. The one thing that Alabama had was a secondary, but again, to me, it was like a very down SEC, and I think there's there's no way there was no way around that. I think when you looked at it, so I think they're as we're sorry, go ahead. I think they're a ten win team. I think you know we're going to see a lot of movement come this off season. I think we're we're seeing some now. You're going to see more. So I'm I'm interested to see how it goes. But I I think what you will have is a lot of knee-jerk reactions that probably people will rethink, you know, six months from now. As we're recording this, another notable Alabama player has entered the portal, Caden Proctor, their five-star freshman tackle who struggled a lot, don't get me wrong, uh, at times in early in the season and again in the Rose Bowl, but, you know, was projected to be a future star. So he's entered the portal. Caleb Downs has entered the portal. And then these guys have, uh, Isaiah Bond has entered the portal. And then guys who have declared for the draft, Terry Arnold, their cornerback, Jermaine Burton, one of their top receivers, uh, Dallas Turner, J.C. Latham, Chris Braswell, um, Jace McClellan. So, you know, they just beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. But I think come that game in late September, I mean, it's not going to be a level playing field because whereas Alabama lost all those dudes, Georgia get got everybody back. They did not have a rash of guys turn pro. Brock Bowers did, obviously. Lad McConkey did. But they'll have Carson back back. And basically their entire front seven will be back that played um, that started in the Orange Bowl. Malachi Starks, All-American safety, and now likely adding Caleb Downs. Uh, so if Alabama goes 10-2, like you said, that they would make the playoff. But I don't, I don't think they're a national championship contender. All right. I think it's way too soon for you to write off Alabama. Well, one reason it's way too soon is there's a spring portal window. And that's that's one of the reasons. Yeah, yes. I think Alabama, I mean, anybody who you're, watched, basi you're basically crapping all over Alabama's chances right now. Is we're I'm just saying that they're to Ralph's point. They're they're now dealing with something. Now that, you're drag, dragging Ralph into this to Ralph's point. It's basically you taking Ralph's face. And, w and walking into the fray. What? I'm agreeing with Ralph. I think you Alabama are, is dealing with defections that they haven't had to deal with in the past. Um, that is true. That part is true. But I, again, it is a long off season. I feel well, like. Yeah. One thing for sure is 
I would think Alabama will be the, the one of one of, if not the destination in the spring for receivers. I mean, anybody who watched Washington the last couple of years and what they did with those receivers, I'd want to be part of that. Right. But it's just like a little too late. I mean, we're at the point now where, I mean, I, I'm not even clear on how these guys are entering the portal right now on January 17th. They're going to find a new home in well, time for the start of their class. You have the yeah, Well, they get an extension to enter the portal, but you still got to be enrolled at your new school unless you're going to, well, unless you're going to enter the portal, finish out this semester at your current school and then transfer them and then, you know, enroll in the summer next year. But if you are doing that, you don't necessarily have to do it now. You could wait till after spring. So this will be just the, this will be, this, this season is going to be so different than anything we've experienced on so many different levels. And one of them is what we're talking about right now. For however many years you've been able to just pencil in, in your preseason rankings, Alabama, is Alabama going to be one or two, maybe three, right? Along with Georgia and Ohio State or at one point Clemson. I think you're going to see some, we saw some new blood this past year. Washington's not going to be back there. I mean, you talk about losing everybody. They certainly did. Michigan has lost a bunch of guys, including J.J. McCarthy. But there's more still there than I think people realize. Uh, but there's a, there's going to be a window there for somebody. Is it an old Miss? Is LSU going to rebound in a big way? I mean, I think there's an opportunity in the SEC for somebody to have the kind of season that Alabama usually has. You know what it might be? It might be Texas. That's the team I would watch out for because Texas is loaded. I think I think they have done really well. You know, in the portal, they added um, two di- really dynamic receivers. Love the addition of Silas Bolden. I think he's a from Oregon State. I think he's a great fit for what Sark does. Um, not just Bond. I think that you know now the question to me this off season is. How how much better, much more consistent can they get Quinn Ewers? You know, because for as hyped as he was, and again, you know, like he was a very polarizing topic when you talk to a lot of rival coaches about him. Because I think people know how hyped he was coming out of the recruiting process, but what they see on the field is a you know is a is a different story. So it's like, all right, you know, like. Can he get to the level where he can be a national championship winning quarterback? Because they have a lot around them, and I think they're going in the right direction. For sure, though I would say that you know, he lost two games, and I don't think Quinn Ewers is the reason they lost those games. Uh, he didn't play great against Oklahoma. but no, He, he also remember- did not play great against Washington. I mean, there was a big difference between Penix played out of his mind and up the bar, and they did not match that. The common theme in those two games was – not being able to defend the other team's receivers. So that's the area where they'll need to upgrade the most. Um, but yes, Texas, if you're if you're predicting, you know, what is it, 11 months in advance, who plays in next year's SEC championship game? To me, it would be Georgia-Texas, who, by the way, play each other in the regular season because that's what the SEC is now, is games like uh, Georgia-Texas. And in fact, I looked at Texas's schedule. I know you got to go here in a second. Um How's this for the for the new world of college football? Texas plays at Michigan in week two. Now fast forward to October 12th, where they play Oklahoma, Red River, right? It's always around that time of year. But instead of turning around and playing random Big 12 team, they're playing Georgia. They're going to play Oklahoma and Georgia in back-to-back weeks. That's what the new sport's going to be now. It's going to be really fun for, for, for viewers, right, on Saturdays. Maybe not so fun for the team's 
outside of those two uh, conferences. Okay. Well, I'm sure a bunch of more portal stuff will happen over the next uh, few days before we get to you. And perhaps there'll be another uh, group of five head coach will decide to join the Alabama stuff. So much happened, by the way, in the last week that unfortunately a lot of the mailbag questions were already out of date. So let's try again next week. Send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. 